When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, Chris Evans here, and welcome once again to the Best of the Breakfast Show podcast with Sky from Virgin Radio. Coming up, quintessential British actor Hugh Bonneville chats his incredible career and life story in his brand new memoir, Playing Under the Piano. The reviews are in, and they are a rave plus plus. The hilarious duo of Rob Beckett and Josh Widdicombe also have a book out called Parenting Hell. It's awesome. I love them. Strictly's very own Anton Dubeck discussing his latest novel, The Ballroom Blitz, and footballing hero turned TV superstar Peter Crouch tells us about his latest book, How to Be an Ex-Footballer. All of that and so much more to come. So Vassos, kick things off and tell us who's up first. You won't have heard of our next guest if you don't own a television and haven't been to see a film or a play. For the rest of us, <laughs> he's in basically all our favourite things and now he's written basically our favourite autobiography, Playing Under the Piano, out now. So a huge bonjour, Hugh Bonneville! <laughs> yeah, pretty impressive, but nowhere near as impressive as the fact your mum was a spy? <laughs> what? Hang on, hang on, hang on. Let's get this in perspective, she was a spy. Chris. She, she worked for MI6. She was, you know, she did some filing. Now you're being like she was. <laughs> so you're probably a spy too. <laughs> yes, but don't tell anyone. Well, you said you did some filing, and then your dad gave you a sort of a little nod and a wink, saying, "Well, it was a bit more than filing." Well, yeah, no, it was, um, I, I very, uh, very kindly after I'd mentioned this on uh, on Desert Island Discs, the uh, someone from MI6 rang up and said, "We're doing these lunchtime chats with the outside world. Would you like to come along and have a chat about people who've inspired you, etc.?" Right. So I did go along to Riverhouse and 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 met some of the you know boys and girls as they sat there with their sandwiches at lunchtime and I just chatted about people who'd influenced me along the way. But, but didn't they blow Riverhouse up in Bond? Well, I know. Luckily, they, 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 there were some builders in it, actually, when I was there. <laughs> but, um, no, they were very, very nice and they, they sat there either snoozing or playing on their phones but pretending to listen to me in this lecture theatre. And then afterwards, one of the chaps came up to me and said, I work with your mum. And uh, that was rather special because I obviously didn't know anything. I didn't even know she'd worked there, let alone, uh, you know, who she'd worked with. And uh, this, you know, this chap who was you know, a little bit younger than me said, when I started out, I was, we worked in this office and uh, every time we, we could hear these footsteps on the lino and think, oh, God, there's Pat. We better, better you know, look like we know what we're doing. And it was really weird. It was just that I knew exactly the footsteps he meant, you know, yeah. the way that she, when she was in an efficient mode, she'd be walking, you know, there's a certain gait that she had. And, uh, and that sort of connected us over the years. It was really touching because my mum had passed on by then. And uh, so it was a nice this little insight. This is OK. You listen to Hugh Bonneville talking about his brand new book, Playing Under the Piano from Dancing to Dark Spirit. We've all been um, completely uh, bewitched by this book, uh, spellbound by this book, haven't we, over the last week? It's absolutely brilliant. We've read loads of biographies we have to for a living. It's a great part of the job, actually, uh, because we don't invite people onto the show to talk about their books unless we like them anyway. So we always want to read their books. But now and again, you open the first page, you go, oh, hang on a minute, this guy knows how to write. Um, <laughs> before we get to your writing, uh, past, present and no doubt future, um, let's go back to the world of espionage and your Bond years. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Bonneville. <laughs> the name's Bonneville, Hugh Bonneville, but not Bond. <laughs> how close did you get? 
Uh, well, I it's thought, all in the book, everyone. It's, it's all, all in the, all book. the book. It's all in the book. Yeah, no, I did. I did have my one line in Tomorrow Never Dies, and I was so excited that uh, when Roger Spotters with the director interviewed uh, me and you know dozens of others for, to play these uh, naval characters in the uh, finale, the denouement of Tomorrow Never Dies, and I had visions of us being on a you know sun lounger in Thailand for a couple of weeks as the Chinese Navy took on the British Navy, and uh, turned out to be two days in a simulator in Portsmouth. You were devastated. I was devastated. Half an hour from where you live. Exactly. It was so annoying. <laughs> and you called Colin. I called myself Colin because the character wasn't dignified with a name. He was called Air Warfare Officer uh, AWO. So I called him Colin. <laughs> and it was Bond 18. Tell us about the, the sort of the nomenclature of the Bond outfit how they go about that oh well they, well they uh yes you, you you were sent certainly in those days this is obviously 20 years ago you you, you know you were sent a, a sheet of paper which said bond 18 on it and um so cool and about your you know your two scenes which was me you know looking like a pillsbury dough man sat in front of a tumble dryer which was a radar screen and uh and in the uh in the simulator down in portsmouth where all these naval cadets and junior officers etc they all do their training so they're doing all these you know these routines day in day out you know 4.13 incoming to a little switch 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 and all that and of course us actors were just rubbish at it going oh sorry I forgot my lines can we go again and uh, what time's uh, lunch <laughs> yes exactly what time's lunch don't you know who I think I was and um, and uh, and they and these rather sort of grey uh, functional as you'd expect radar screens were being sexed up by uh, the Bond team because they came Love in it. and put all these wonderful the art department put all these wonderful glowing orange hoods on the things to make it look really really sexy and all the naval cadets were going what the heck's this this is, doesn't work anymore but um, they were and they were, as I say, far more efficient at uh, d doing the drills than we were. Listen, if you, if you love a book and you love the business and you love a good bloke telling a great story and he's bothered to write it properly, playing under the piano, this is the book, let me tell you. Um, a recurring theme throughout the book is that strange phenomenon of jobs that you wanted at the time, but had you got them, they wouldn't have been very good for your career, like the bill, for example. <laughs> well, you never know. I mean, let's face it, all our lives are, remote, are yeah, sliding doors. Are. You know, yeah, yeah. if I turned left there instead no, of right. No, but it's a great show. But mm. had you got that gig, mm. I mean, who knows where you Who knows, have, yes. You know. I, had a, I had a brilliantly bad audition for the bill. Well brilliantly, <laughs> brilliantly bad because of my own idiocy. Which So so anyone who's interested in how not to get a job, do, do have a look at the book. Um, basically, they said, yes, we're thinking of, ch of changing the format from 50 minutes or an hour uh, down to half an hour. What do you think? And I was so convinced by this stage that I'd done well in the audition that I thought these producers were my best friends. And so I said, well, actually, I think that would be a really, really bad idea, you know, don't you? Uh, of course, they'd already made the decision and so there was and so I could see that I gradually felt the job slipping away from me as I talked <laughs> so my tip in that chapter really <laughs> is you know it, it, at least show positivity until you've left the building but it's great though because there's stories about the bill there's stories about Kenneth Brown National Theatre Michael Gambon Anthony Hopkins what did you find out about yourself writing this brilliant book Hugh? I think the weirdest thing, and and the fact that uh, you know when you start writing something, your subconscious takes over. I had no intention of writing about my dad and my mum, and suddenly there was there I was writing about him, and I think what I discovered was was what a great influence they had been on me. Uh, inevitably, I mean that sort of goes without saying. Your parents have an influence on you, good or bad. But I think how much a, a debt of gratitude I owed them, and that sort of I, I hope comes through in the book. Yeah, I know a lot. There's so much in there. There's so much in there. First off, I love loads about this book. It's just like having you sat next to me telling me stories. <laughs> um, and then there's this one. Don't mention the Scottish play chapter, mm. and it's extraordinary. And the way you describe 
the first time you just dried on stage. It's just it's beautiful. You say you say civilizations were born and fell, ba- babies were conceived, grew old, died, um, dinosaurs came back onto the earth in this gap while you were is trying to how, remember is your that life. How it, feels? it really did. I can remember. Oh, I'm getting sweaty just remembering. So, so hang on, for people who don't know, what does that mean? Dried. The first dried, time dried. Is, is basically when you're in the middle of a scene, then you completely forget your lines. Which on camera is is sort of all right because you can cut and go again. On stage in front of you know a thousand people at the Olivier Theatre. It's a bit tricky, and I can remember staring into Jeremy Northam's eyes. Well, who wouldn't? But um, uh, doing a play called The School for Scandal, and it was about the third or fourth preview, and I just the, the lines just evaporated, and I knew them backwards. And uh, but and it was probably a split second. It was probably no more than a second or two. Um, but as I say, in that moment, in your own mind, time stops, and you are you know naked on a hilltop, you know, <laughs> and uh, with everybody laughing at you and it's just toe curling because the last time you came in here we went out afterwards didn't we, we went we went for a lunch to do with that huge fundraiser that you would set up so thank you for that no I no mean, it was great it was a win-win wasn't it, Every, it everybody yeah. had a great time i think oh had a lovely time matthew good especially had a lovely time i he, don't think he got home till about midnight did he well <laughs> yeah or the next <laughs> week he went out with Jack Savretti, yeah. and the two haven't been seen since. Nor is Matt Smith, who next stop for him after the lunch was he Glastonbury. Went to a festival, didn't he? he, he went was to Glastonbury. It was yeah. actually Glastonbury. <laughs> Hugh, well done, mate. It's so nice to see you again. Thank the book you. is as good, I hope, as you ever wanted it to be. Hugh Bonneville's considerable talent for writing is on display, page after page. Beautiful, touching, and funny. Says Gary Ullman. <laughs> Clunk. Um, you must be pleased, yeah. I was very, you know, I'm very, very touched by the reaction, and uh, and and you, you three have been very generous about it. So we didn't thank mean, you. we didn't mean it. Oh, of course, of course. Not. I pay well. <laughs> this, this book tour you're going yes. on. Yeah. I mean, you look at the dates, and then you, you know, um, Stratford upon Avon, Bridport, New Jersey, Washington DC, <laughs> New York. Cambridge Dulwich. <laughs> That's yeah. all in a week, by the way. That's quite eclectic. There's a Washington in West Sussex. Uh, no, it is no, actually. It's DC. No, Washington I know, DC. I know it is. <laughs> Darn him. Uh, Hugh, well done, mate. Thank you so much. You're Thanks absolutely for awesome. Me. Hugh Bonneville playing under the piano from Downton to Darkest Peru is out now and it is a right riveting, cracking read. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Have kids, they said. Years of stress-free bliss, they said. They need to read our next guest's book, Parenting Hell, out tomorrow. If only because they could probably do with a laugh. And these two are funnier than Samuel Beckett and Anne Widdicombe. It's Rob Beckett and Josh Widdicombe. Good morning, gentlemen. Hello, how are you? I'm very well. Congratulations. Rob Beckett, Josh Widdicombe's Parenting Hell book. Tell everybody about the shape of the book um, from the podcast To Alive. This is the bridge to the live tour. Tell us everything, guys. Well, uh, basically, uh, the, the shape of the book is well i should say that rob uh we met up to discuss the shape of the book didn't yep. we and uh with half an hour we'd, we'd put some ideas down and rob said we should have got a three book deal <laughs> we've got so much here and then we got to the end of the book and we thought that's exactly as much as we've got yeah it was a good <laughs> solid full book but um, basically the, the story of the book is we did a podcast in lockdown where we talked to people about their kids and we talked about our kids and then that grew and then we realized we had all these funny stories from when 
before the podcast started. So we've put them in the book and it's to make you feel better about being a parent. And it Yeah, actually. you don't need to have listened to the podcast at all. It's I, I think I read a lot of books that gave you tips before you had a kid and none of them were useful. And this has no tips. But we, we haven't written it as an advice book, but I... When I when <laughs> Get out of here. No, absolutely not. Let's make that clear. <laughs> that, that's how it came across to me. <laughs> but, this is, but that's because, you know, when I was coming up in comedy, I was like, oh, if I can meet a really good comedian, I can ask them for advice. Yes. But yes. it's hard to find them, isn't it? Because yeah. they're off doing big tours. Yeah, so yeah. what I used to do is find someone that was terrible at it, ask them what they did, and then do the opposite. <laughs> and it's just as effective. <laughs> and so that's what this book is. Yeah. <laughs> this book is two people who are bad at parenting. Right. Yeah. Do it like this. How did it land for you, this book? I loved it. I loved it. Uh, one of my favourite bits. Page 192. Josh has written pages and pages on this. Rob has one chap- one sentence. Don't bother until your youngest is at least four years old. End of chapter. Yeah. It's pointless. I, I sort of agree with you. <laughs> I yeah. do. Going on holiday with kids is just going away to somewhere where you don't have all the things that make it easy to have kids. Completely. And you've got to pack for the pleasure yeah. or yeah. the displeasure of it's it It's a nightmare. All. And everything's so slippy and sharp, isn't it? In, yeah. those, in those villas in Spain. It's deadly. Yeah. And, and why are all corners on furniture at, at the perfect kid height for head exactly. injuries? What is that about? So I think wait till your, kid, your youngest is four, then have an holiday and save yeah. up for a good one. Yeah, and if you're, you know, if you're into your art, don't buy anything until they're at least 13. Oh, no. really? Yeah, they ruined... Hanging high, you know, balls in the house, all this kind of stuff going on. Balls in the house. Balls in the house. Balls in the house is an absolute nightmare. <laughs> um, you talk about um, finding out about, uh, you know, becoming fathers and the journey to uh, parenthood. Uh, would you like to speak to that a little bit? Well, I'd say I thought finding out about being a dad was bad. My situation was... I basically woke up, I was hungover. And... Because you'd been out with... Uh, it was the last leg, so I'd stayed in the green room till 3am. Because it's, it's, it's a work do. <laughs> You've got to show willing. And then my wife woke me up and told me she was pregnant at 9am. Right. Like, literally first words of the morning. And I didn't respond well to... Well, I was all right with it, but then Rob told me... All right with it. It's lovely. I was all right with it. No, I was No, 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 no. You did say those words out loud on the radio. We're much better people these days, Rob. I love the last chapter where you sort of... You sort of step up to the plate of it's great though, um, yeah. and the thing about our podcast and thing about our live show and thing about our book is, you know, nobody wants to hear the stories about how great being a parent is. No. And then, but then the last chapter is a, a love letter to to being a dad. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think that's the thing. Like, no one, as you say, if I sat here and said, "Oh," and my daughter looked at me with, and I just my heart melted. No one, you know, that's not reassuring. That's not, and that's kind of why we started the whole podcast was to reassure people that you know it is difficult and there is all these things, but it is brilliant. Yeah, like, it is absolutely. Well, great. That, I think, but the, the, what I enjoy about it is it brings you something that you can't get anywhere else where like you know people you get wrapped up in your career of I want to do this if you're a comedian I've got to be on Love the Apollo I've do the Hammerson for Apollo all these things that you, you think are points in your life that will really matter and normally you get to them and go I don't feel any different but it's the only thing that's happened to me where I go I, I do feel different and I feel better and it's made me a better person um, but it's yeah the, being a dad's the best thing that I am and I do. I don't know. After I did Hammersmith Apollo, I became a better person. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you say that. 
Rob says that, doesn't he, in the last chapter? He says, you know, everything that's not as important as you think it is has a number attached to it, and then you yeah. list all the things. Yeah. I'm just tempted to ask you all those questions. <laughs> <laughs> who, who, has, who does have the most money? Do either of you have a Ferrari? Well, you, you started to list them, I think, because you, obviously you've thought about them in the yeah, past. Yeah, of course, you? everyone thinks you, about earning yeah, a certain amount yeah, or having a Ferrari and all. Do. You know, like, uh, and. Uh, you talk like, about no. that in your biography. Yeah, actually, exactly. It's something what? that sort of like. Uh, a bit, I, I spent my whole life trying to hit these targets, these things that I wanted to achieve that I thought would make me feel good. And you, if you wrap your self worth too much in those numbers, it, yeah. it never ends well. Like, here we go. How much yeah. money do you have? How many followers do you have? Uh, how many BAFTAs have you won? Who has won the most BAFTAs between you two? Well, it's a great nil all at the moment. It's a nil all. It says, yeah, it's a stalemate. Between you, you I, two, haven't won a BAFTA between you. I've had four you. nominations. Oh, that's fair enough. How so, many nominations? But do, you I got, have? do you know who I got uh, beaten by? I won, I think. I Josh, Josh won't really want some after. If you were- <laughs> <laughs> I went and it was one of the most tragic events I've ever been at. Do you really want a BAFTA? <laughs> no, do you know what? Do, do you want a BAFTA? No, Josh, really, really wants a BAFTA. Do you want to, to borrow my BAFTA for the weekend? <laughs> I'm not joking. Fair enough, fair enough, yeah, I will do that. I'll borrow your BAFTA for the weekend. Yeah, yeah OK. And then just let it rub for like an hour. <laughs> yeah. Because you've had four nominations you can have for the weekend. One nomination, you think. What do you mean you think you've had one nomination? Well, I think it was one. Yeah, well, I, you I don't know re- if you'd had one or two. It's definitely one. It might be... I, genu- I, think, I think it's one. I'm not sure. Well, was it more than one? No, no, no. Do you know what? I'm getting confused. I'm getting confused because when I went, uh, me and Romesh had one and he had three. Who did? Romesh. Did he? So I sat next did, to him. Has he won one? Yeah. And how, he many won- he, how many has he won? Where, two? One where, or two? Where are his? I've got no oh, idea. No. See, if you have two, you can book it. You can I don't have think, literally yeah. bookends have you, on them. Have you got one? I've got one. I'd have thought you'd have more, Chris. No, I've got one. I've got, I also won the Golden Rose Montreux and an Emmy. So we oh, can, we can see, here we uh, go. Four comedy awards. Oh, like, don't yeah, get yeah. me started. No, no. <laughs> they're not important, these things. <laughs> it's in the last chapter of the book. I think you two might need to read that chapter again. <laughs> <laughs> so the live tour, you, you're taking this on tour. How do you take this on tour, just out of interest? Good question. <laughs> If the promoters are listening, tune out now. Yeah. We're going to do a proper show. Like, we're not going to do two blokes sitting around chatting in no. the O2. But that's, that's, what what people, but that's what people want. But we've done the... Uh... Did you just say the O2? Yeah, we're doing the O2. Wow. <laughs> I know. <laughs> what, that, that one? That one? Yeah, that's yeah, the that one. Yeah. The 17,000 seats at O2? Yeah. yeah, that's the one. Oh, my <laughs> giddy Yeah, yeah. No, it's a bit weird, isn't it? Good luck with that. <laughs> no, sorry. Good, no. That's good, why we're just. How, how do you say that? Good luck with that without it sounding. Good luck with that. Good, good, good luck with that. Good luck. Good luck. No, it doesn't, you can't get yeah. it to sound right. So that's why it's not two blokes chatting. Enough. Yeah, because it's got to be a proper show. It's going to be. It's like the Pet Shop Boys. It, jo- Rob, Josh is going to sing. No, that's not happening. You're, sing, you're singing us out, yeah. I've just decided. I think we're done. I'm delirious oh, by the three and a half hours. I'm all over the place <laughs> at the end of it. You want to come on earlier when we make more sense? I prefer it this way. Do you? Yeah. All right. It's a bit more freeform. Thank you, guys. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Right, we've checked. Scientists have double-checked. And it turns out everybody, everybody loves our next guest. <laughs> he is a presenter, a dancer. He's the Angela Lansbury <laughs> yes! of today's television. A strictly judge and a best-selling author whose latest novel, Ballroom Blitz, is out today with perfect tens from us. <laughs> Bye, Eck. It's Anton Dubeck. Oh, oh good morning, Anton. <laughs> Welcome to the top of the town. Welcome back to the top of the town. Thank you very much. It's lovely to be here, and thank you very much. Do you know, I'm going to tell you something now. I just, I just saw that you uh, gave away a, a glass sky, sky glass. glass here. I've just upgraded to sky glass. 
Congratulations. Yesterday, literally on the phone with the young man there, we upgraded marvellous. But you've not been super installed yet, have you? No, it's being delivered on, on, uh, on oh, Monday. I can't wait to get it all rigged gonna up. It's going to change your life. Change your life. You've got your remote control. You've got your walkie-talkie remote control, same thing. So you can either press the buttons, you no. know, if you want a bit of sort of, um, what do you, you call it, um, haptic action, you know that. Oh, yeah. That goes on there, the little vibrations of your fingers. Oh. Or you can use it as walkie-talkie remote control. Or you can discard it completely. You can even send it back to the factory because you can talk to the television. Oh, I love that. I could talk to the television. What Who colour? doesn't Just talk to the television what already? What have you gone for? Um, I, want, I wanted to go for the dusky pink, right? But my wife put her foot down. Oh, and she, she's gone for the. Uh, we've gone for. The, we've gone for the sleek black. Did model. you mm. give her a good listening to? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely, I do all the things. Hang that my on, wife says. hang on, hang on. Back the truck up here. He's a judge, everyone. Yay! He's now a judge. He's been liberated to where he truly has always belonged on the judging panel. A dream come, a dream beyond a dream come true. Well, it is, and I've, I'm loving every second of it. I'm loving the sitting there during the result show, knowing I'm not going to get voted off. <laughs> not having to do that look. Into or voted the into the dance-off. I mean, that's the thing, <laughs> yeah, isn't it? exactly. Oh, my goodness and My me. partner looks at me and goes, will we be OK? And I go, yes, we'll be absolutely fine. Ignore the fact we're very, very bottom of the leaderboard, but we'll be fine. All good things come to those who wait. It's yes. been a while. It's been a while, but I, I, I've loved... There's no uh, but, by the way. You don't have to start the sentence with but. No, never start with the but. I enjoyed dancing on the show for many, many years, and uh, and now I, I'm enjoying the, the judging. It, I didn't feel like I couldn't wait to do one over the other. Uh, it was just sort of, for me, it was like a natural transition. So I'm loving judging, and I'm, what I'm loving about it as well is that when you're, when you're dancing on the show, you do your bit. And you spend your time with your partner and you go on the show, you do your bit, you hope for the best, get through, great, start again on Monday. On uh, As a judge, I'm able to contribute to everybody's performance in some way. And I like to, I like to use my experience having danced on the show for so long and tried every trick in the book to get away with as much as I could. Yeah. And so you're just, you're just reinforcing it. Really. Well, listen, you've always looked after yourself. You're, you're, you are one of the greats. You are literally one of the greats. Oh, uh, you're because a beauty. nobody's got a bad word to say against you about you it's, it's just uh, phenomenal um, you do nothing but bring sunshine take sunshine with you wherever you go from the inside out and we know that happiness and sunshine is often an inside job you've been allowed to I think to to inhabit the platform which most suits you at this time in your career and you just look so you always look happy Anton always. thank you you never seem stressed to me but you just look even happier now I feel really happy right now because I'm I'm really loving the show. I'm um, I'm loving being a judge on the show. I haven't I don't have that sort of anxiety of being voted off next week. Yeah, and also your wife knows where you're going to be till Christmas. Exactly, she's delighted I'm going to be there. You can till make Christmas. plans, can't you? Yeah, you it's know what's nice. going on. <laughs> it's all important. But I'm really enjoying the show because I don't feel I've got anything to prove, and I think that's the thing that's when you're the, performing. You you you're always you're always trying to prove yourself, and that's great because it, you push yourself. But I don't feel like I've got anything to prove as a judge. You just want to share. I just want to share. I love that. You want to share. You want to infuse. You want to impart gentle um, uh, encouragement. Encouragement. You know, and you want to be economical with the harshest truths. Mm. You know, and uh, and generous with the the most welcome. Truths. Well, I start from the perspective that everybody's trying their best, and if you're trying your best, yeah. but really trying your best, really trying your best, then. Well, that's, that'll do for me. And Thank it'll you come across much. as well. Yeah. And it will be appreciated. I mean, for example, Tony Adams, uh, week one of Strictly Come Dancing, he went a bit wrong. and it, uh, he, had, he did 70 hours of training that week. 
70 hours of training. He was in the studio all day. All day. And he 70, came out 70 hours more than he ever did for Arsenal. No, they are, you see. And it turned out all right in the end, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, no, he's natural, that's so why. So he's, he's, uh, he's trying his best, and I, and I, will, I will take that every time, yeah, and I will encourage as much out of them as we can get. So, Vassos, you, you love this book. You dived into it early this morning. Vassos set his alarm early to, to get into it. You're um, so lovely. And you adore Got up it. at three o'clock, which is a, a, an hour and a bit earlier than usual, yeah. and I started, and it's so... Very clever, you rascally, Tom, because <laughs> it's so perfect. And it, and you could think, well, maybe this is facile, and it's not at all facile. You've got, you know, you've got a lavish ballroom, and you've got the blitz. You've got bombs falling. And that sort of, you know, that polarisation is beautiful. You, do you know what it is, Anton? And I don't know how you do this, but it is, it is heartbreaking, and it oh. is heartwarming. And how do you do that? Oh, it's choreography. That's art, though, isn't it? That's how it is. You know, what is, what's the best art? It's the stuff that moves you. You know, I watch uh, wonderful performers with, with, you know, incredible technique and you're massively impressed by wonderful feats of in, uh, wonderful technique. But does it move you? It's not the same as being impressed. So I want somebody who will touch my heart. For example, just you know, sort of loosely... I would watch Giovanni and Rose dancing on Strictly Come Dancing last year. Now, the greatest technique of dancing you've ever seen? No, absolutely not. I mean, just a, basically a beginner. Was it? Did I? Was I moved by it every week? Absolutely, genuinely, genuinely. I once or twice I couldn't speak. Absolutely remarkable. That is what you're after, the capacity to be able to move somebody yeah. through whatever it is that you try and do. Yeah, anything that you do. Whether sing. it's singing, dancing. Making a speech. Making a speech. Yeah. If, if you can, you have some, you know, everybody can make a speech, but only very few people can make a speech. Yeah, because the whole point about it is, you know, specifically as far as that discipline is concerned, people don't know why they're doing it. And you're doing it because you have to move people. And that's why certain things have happened over the last few years in this country, because the people in charge have moved people into positions that they haven't been reasoned into. Because if you can move someone, you know, emotionally, it's the most powerful thing. Oh, you absolutely. Know, if you can laugh someone out of a funk or into a position, so powerful, you know, because often you don't realise it's happening to you. And those tears you're talking about there, it's as far as your storyline's concerned in the book, one of the storylines, the many arcs in the book, is the best tears, they say, are the ones that are a mixture of empathy and joy. And you don't quite know which tears you're crying, but you don't really care. I should have got you to write something for the back of the book there, really. Oh, I mean, that is... Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> you're absolutely right. I'll, I'll take that. I'll take yeah, that, that. I mean, it is... But that's what you're after because, you know, I've performed for 100 years in front of people and every time I come onto, the, onto uh, a stage or onto the floor, whether it's on Strictly or whether it's the Palladium, wherever it is, I'm only interested in one thing, and that's the connection with the audience. That's all I'm concerned about. If I can connect with an audience and move them, and I know it sounds a bit sort of poncy, but if I can move them in some way to either a standing ovation, either to get the handkerchiefs out and have a moment, to, to have that m moment together is essentially everything.
Anton, you're amazing. It's so nice to see you again. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so you. glad you, uh, you you always bring the sunshine with you, but never more than today. It's brilliant. I'm so pleased for you that you're a judge on Strictly oh, because I know it's your dream job. It's I I, I absolutely look at love twinkle it. in his eye. Look at that. Look at his smiley Double face. Double twinkle. <laughs> Vassos, thank you for getting up early to read the Vassos, book. Vassos, I love you for that. I used to get up at three o'clock in the morning when I was a baker, and I promise you. I know Paul Hollywood's a baker, and he's obviously been getting well, up early. He says he's that. only 27 years old. Look what it does to you after a period of time. It is. Thank you. I appreciate it. I love you. Just love want you to know that. Love you too. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. No income tax, no VAT. Just 60 grand transfer fee. Blue <laughs> and white, six <laughs> foot four. Peter Crouch is gonna score. <laughs> and he's definitely scored another Top Bins bestseller with his latest hilarious book, How to Be an Ex-Footballer, out now. He's definitely no slouch. He's on our couch. He's Peter Crouch. Hasn't he grown? Yeah. Yeah? He's taller than six foot four now. Were you actually six foot four when that chant was out? I think I probably was. Yeah, I'm still going. How old would you be then? Uh, I was 18 when I made my debut for QPR. I wonder when we stopped growing and why we stopped growing. That's the funny thing, isn't it? Why don't we just carry on growing? Trees carry on growing, don't they? they? Do. Well, not all of them. When you get, when you, I used to have a Christmas tree farm, Peter, mm. and you can daub the top of a Christmas tree with this this gunk, and it it um, sort of uh, caps it off at six feet, which is the most popular height. Good to know. To sell, um, clearly that didn't mm. happen with you. Well, yeah, yeah, maybe I would have been more popular if I was six foot. You couldn't be any more popular. You, it's impossible to be any more popular. This book's brilliant. How to be an ex-footballer. It's so interesting. It's funny, but it's also interesting. Yeah. Um, all this stuff about why aren't we taught certain things at school? Very instructive and very in- incisive. Well, it is. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know why we're not taught about mortgages or bank accounts, but we're taught, you know, Pythagoras theorem. I don't, I've never used that in my life, but I'd love to know, you know, these other things like life skills, if you know what I mean. Um, but yeah, this is just about, I suppose, me being in football for, for 20 years, coming every single day. That's all I've ever known. And then bang, you're just thrust into something else. And um, lots of players that I interviewed for this book um, have gone into weird and wonderful things, not just the, the punditry or, or coaching or management. You know, there's a varied... God, I spoke to Gavin Peacock. I don't remember Gavin Peacock, Chelsea central midfielder. Um, he's now a priest in Canada. In Canada, uh, Ian Dazu was a centre half at Portsmouth and, and Wigan. Um, I played against him. Um, he is now a, a narcotics detective in Holland. Uh, <laughs> some of the jobs that people have got, you like, it's very different from the norm, but like exciting, and um, I love speaking to them. Yeah, and you talk about um, the jobs that some footballers have um, gone on to do after leaving the world of footy, but. You also talk about some some suggestions you have for others who who might want to go into different fields. Yeah, there's a there's a few suggestions. <laughs> <laughs> there's a few suggestions. Um, you know, for me for me personally, like I was, I I felt like certainly a young player sort of coming out of the game. You have to go, uh, you have to do something while you're still playing. If you know what I mean, like I. Um, I did my book at the first one and I did my podcast and, and they just sort of took off. I also did my coaching badges and I didn't know which way I was going to go, but that sort of went well. So I've just fell into different things. And I think for any young player coming out of it, um, certainly plan uh, before, it, before it finishes because when it ends, you, you're easily forgotten, I think. So, you know, so, as speaking to some players, it's, I spoke to Steve Stone, uh, you know, England player, Nottingham Forest, uh, Aston Villa. And um, the minute he retired, he was coaching kids and, and, you know, it was like he had all this respect. And the moment he retired, they 
it was like they didn't respect him. You know, they, didn't, they forgot who he was yeah. like, so quickly. That. Did you have to decide to let it go, or was it was it? Did it feel more natural than that? It just felt more natural to, to, to do what I'm doing now. Like I'm really enjoying it. I actually get time to spend with my family. I'm not bald um, through stress. <laughs> um, you know, being a manager is. A stressful thing, and, it's and if 24 7, 24/7. 25/7 yeah, it? And, and you know, for instance, Stevie, you know, has a family home and he's in Glasgow. You know, I might have to start somewhere miles away. You know, look at Graham Potter now, who's the, the Chelsea manager. You know, he took his family abroad, his whole family in the in the fourth division in Norway. Uh, you know, and and people think he's just been a success overnight. You know, he's done his apprenticeship, he's done, he's worked so hard, you know, and and gone through all of these things to get to manage a, a top club in the in the Champions League and that's where you have to that's what you have to do you can't just go in and wing it it's it finds you out very very quickly just because you've been a good player does not give you any divine right to be a good manager what, how do you feel on a Friday when did when did the Friday buzz the weekend buzz I know there's lots of football all mm. through the week now but you know primarily weekend still that's where all the big footy heat is you know how, how was that for you yeah that the, the highs are uncontrolled like I, I couldn't like for instance the Champions League night and field um you know scoring and, and winning a game and then it's i don't know it's, i suppose you could equate it to being a, a rock star or you know in rolling stones and playing wembley and then what you're supposed to do just go straight to sleep at 10 30 like as a footballer it's very different to you know in that scenario you know you have to be you know by the book you have to do things correctly and i, I come off the pitch at like half nine and in that kind of game the lights you know the buzz of anfield the sort of the songs and and then we win and then you come back in the change room and like it's so hot you just can't sleep you cannot sleep it's so hard and then you think you've got another game on the saturday and you have to prepare correctly for that yeah. i found it but i mean it was the best thing and I feel so blessed that I've had the opportunity to do that. To it's all feel ever, like that. To have that kind of like buzz, really. Yeah. yeah, not just once, you know, many, many times. Loads of times, yeah. And I feel very blessed to have had that. And But like I, the way I'm looking at it now is that was then and I, I loved it. And people say, do you miss it? And I think, I don't because I, I had it. You know, and it was there and it's yeah. gone and the best memories ever. And I'm enjoying what I'm doing now. And I'm very lucky and fortunate to be in a position that I'm doing something again that I enjoy. I love this bit in the book where you talk about um, potentially getting a call up for Washington, D.C. to play over mm. there. And that they'd said to you, well, really, we're looking at Wayne Rooney, but you're going to be second <laughs> up. And you'd said to Abby, Wayne's never going to go. Then you saw it flash up on Sky Sports. Mm. And Abby emails Colleen all of the houses you'd been looking at. Yep. Spot on. Yeah. <laughs> I mean that's all that's all factual. Um I, I, I just thought, you know, they're going for Wayne Rooney and I mean there was a potential for us to go there and I was sort of towards the end I thought I really like a new sort of something different, completely different. I played in England all my life. Um so we were there. We were like right three years, we've looked at houses, uh Wayne's never gonna go there. And uh I, I literally saw I was literally watching Sky Sports News and it, it came, the yellow bar along the bottom just yeah. came across and it was Wayne Rooney signs so I was like, Are we staying here? But I looked at yeah. <laughs> You better get you open some wine. There's something I've got to tell you. you so, she, so basically, yes, he emailed uh, Colleen all the um, you know the details. We had we had phone numbers, restaurants, um, you know, houses, schools. We were looking at schools. Um, yeah, all the info. She was she was like a player liaison officer for Love Colleen. It. Were you going to look into rent, rent or buy? What did you do? For no, we're years? just going to rent. Gonna yeah, rent. yeah, yeah. yeah. How much rent. Sky Sports news is watched by footballers and ex-footballers? I can't tell you how much. Like. It's on repeat, you know, in every single football canteen, um, 
it's just on in the background. So you you know until you lose games and there's a negative, you know, there's a whole interview yeah. about how badly you're doing. It gets yeah. changed very, very quickly to like Holmes under the hammer. <laughs> <laughs> just just in case you need to sell. <laughs> it could be yours next. <laughs> if you don't score on Saturday, that'll be you. <laughs> Beats, thank you. Pleasure. Thank Thanks you, for having sir. me. No, you're more than welcome. More than welcome. What a great week. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. All right, we've heard from a bunch of incredible guests already on this, the Best of the Breakfast Show podcast with Sky from Virgin Radio. Still to come, Hollywood A-lister Isla Fisher leads to her brand new first ever kids' picture book, Maisie the Movie Star. Joyous journalists Fee Glover and Jane Garvey joined us ahead of their brand new afternoon show on Times Radio. Incredible physician Gabor Mate imparts his expertise on trauma, addiction, stress and childhood development in this amazing, amazing new book called The Myth of Normal. A marvellous model and actor, Elizabeth Hurley, spreads the good word about Estee Lauder's breast cancer campaign. So let's get right back to it. Vastos, who is next? We all know what it's like to be in the doghouse, but our next guest has literally written the book on it. And a happy waggy tale it is too. Maisie, the movie star from Hollywood, is out now. In between lead roles, she's Jack Russell up a Perfect read for your little uns. So, a big hiya to Isla Fisher. Morning, Isla. Good morning. It's Isla Fisher. Do you know what we could do with Isla? She, because her name fits perfectly. It fits our Hallelujah chorus. Can you get it for us, Mira? Let's let's do this. Let's do a, a bonus uh, mega introduction. Here we go, ladies and germs, boys and girls. It's Isla, Isla Fisher. Fisher. Hi, Fisher. Hi, Fisher. Hi, Fisher. Hi, Fisher. How you doing? Guys, that was amazing. Yeah, that was like no more puns than my entire book. I'm very jealous. He, he is the he's the puntastic pun meister of this. You love a pun, don't you? Vassos? I do love a pun. I I, I read your uh, book with my daughter, who's eight, who's like the upper end of the of you know of yeah. your target market. Yeah. And bless her, because I thought, oh, if she doesn't like puns, <laughs> then then it's going to be quite soon that I'm going to be just really embarrassing, Dad. But I'm pleased to say she likes them too. <laughs> kids love the puns, especially puppy puns. <laughs> Pilot, tell us more about Maisie the movie star. Well, I wrote this is I've written uh, four children's you books have? for older kids and and two YA and uh, this is my first like hard children's picture book which was so much fun. Wrote it during uh, COVID lockdown. Like I'm sure everybody, uh, some people got sort of candle. Well, it was either skills. that or a podcast, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not another bloody podcast. That's all I have to say. Um, but and I also we adopted or we we have a beautiful English sheepdog called Maisie and uh, she brought us so much joy and happiness. It's a love letter to her. It's cool, man. Maisie the movie star, uh, star of Hollywood. It's great. It is a beautiful kids' book. It's And you've got to be careful with these books because there are so few words, the words really have to count and the story's really got to skip along. It's actually a really good lesson in story writing and telling. Right, yeah. It's, yeah, because two characters can become one and also when you've got a fantastic illustrator like Paula Bowles, she can, you know, you've crafted this sentence and then she does an expression on the pup's face, which is a thousand times better and you just end up... Au revoir. Uh, I don't really want to 
talk about any page because you could spoil each page, you know, from a spoiler point of view. I don't know if my target audience are listening oh, right now, are they? Yeah, well, Let's know. spoil away, see, Chris. I, I felt like I was your target audience. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I really... I, that's so I cute. Oh, my gosh, it. you're so nice. No, but that's what... Because um, Eli and myself, because I'm homeschooling my little boy at the moment, he's 10. Oh. And uh, we do a lot of this. We do a lot of short stories because he's a brilliant artist. Oh, but wow. But he struggles with words because he, yeah. he he sees the world in pictures and what yeah. a wonderful thing and music and, that, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Short sentences for him really work. Um, so, no, so it's but it's a lovely setup. Did you um, interview your own dog? <laughs> I did. For research? I did. Okay. Um, she's very verbal. No, I basically, uh, I didn't. I just sort of felt like we were all stuck indoors and in the, st- in the story, Maisie learns to... You know, to get outside, to stop with her pampered um, because you know, cause because she's a, she's a Hollywood movie star. Well, she was. Well, she is at the beginning, and then bad news from her agent over mm-hmm. a, 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 a cup of mocha puppuccino in Starbucks. <laughs> see, you, see, I've done. You, I know it off by heart. Lovely. See, what I want to do I'm gonna, when when. Because we have this festival, we have should come. We have a little sort of literary bit for the Aww. kids, and we call it the big early. And we get on stage and we read these children's stories. And sometimes they ask me to make stories up, and I'm not that good at making stories up on the hoof. I don't mind. Give me, give me a bit of time, and I can really craft something. You know, maybe slight, vaguely interesting. But I'm going to nick your story instead. Just nick it. I do a lot of made-up stories <laughs> at bedtime. I think the secret is just the voices. You just got to be able to inhabit whatever creature or whoever is in the world, and then suddenly. Yeah, plot schmot. You've got a funny voice. So she's an established, famous Hollywood... Um, Pampered pooch. Pampered pooch or a puppet. In a world of dogs. Yes. And she, her agent says there's no more work for you anymore. And so what does she do? She's auditions for Canines of the Caribbean. Yes, she does. Mary Puppins. Um, yeah. and, uh, and basically, and then she... At she, this point, Star Paws is just the pipe dream. Exactly. She, she's not Chewbacca yet. I love... So basically, her agent <laughs> says there's not much work. And so she has to tap into her inner dog and I suppose find her authentic self through these beautiful friendships she makes with street dogs or dogs that well, enjoy... Because they want more street dogs, don't they? Yes, they do. See, now this is where a bit of perhaps your experience comes in. You know, you're mixing your own little rescue pooch mm-hmm. with your fantasy pooch mm-hmm. with maybe your own career because yes. who knows what's around the corner. Yeah, maybe I'm also, you know, uh, hoping that I can urinate on a bush, which is the lesson of the story for Maisie. <laughs> As if you haven't. <laughs> As if, exactly, every Friday night. You rascal. <laughs> no, but show, you never know in showbiz. You're up <laughs> one day, you're down the next. You're down the next. Your leg's up well, one day. <laughs> your leg's up on a bush one minute. No, what's great about, I feel like, showbiz right now is yeah. that there is the windows open to hearing so many more types of stories from different types of people. And it's sort of, I feel like there are so many platforms for content that everybody now can kind of, you know, has more opportunities to self-generate, which is exciting. And um, the National um, uh, Film uh, not, Festival opened last week, didn't it, here in London, London Film Festival opened. And the opening film was Matilda the Musical. Oh, she, Tim Minchin, cannot wait. Tim Minchin, oh, but Emma Thompson's in that. And yes, sma- Miss Trunchable. Sm- smashes Miss Trunchable. Oh. And um, five stars across the board for that film. Oh, wow, that's yeah. exciting. Have you been to see any films by the London Film Festival? I have not. I only flew in two days ago, so I, I watched... Um, did, a, you, did you fly in to promote your book? Um, I actually... I, my da- I flew in to see my dad in Germany right, and it, promote my book. Okay, so, <laughs> so you're, is this a stop-off or on the way or on the way back? Uh, on the way. On the way. In mm-hmm. Is he German? Yeah. No, he's, he's uh, Scottish, actually, but he's married oh, to... Oh, I love a, this. Yes. You got Ginger, all this yes. aren't you Scottish or Irish? 
Where are your roots? If you can find out, can you let me know? <laughs> that would be <laughs> that would be great. Do you think um, Maze of the Movie Star will ever actually come to our screens? Could that happen? I do. I am. I am making talks? a TV show right now are for my t- Margin Charge oh, series my, with Nickelodeon. So I have hopes for Maisels. Okay, I have one word of inspiration for you. Yeah, Bluey. Love Bluey. How can you not Bluey's, love Bluey? Everybody loves Bluey's Bluey. Bluey's the best thing. Ever What's amazing TV. about Bluey is I feel like kids don't ever start. I mean, I've from a seven to a fifteen-year-old, somehow Bluey can pull everybody in. All the mums want to be the mum. All the dads want to be the dad. All the kids want to be the kids, and they get on like a house. They have their, they have, they have their friction. They have their bumps in the road, but it all comes good in the end. It's very profound. Yeah. Which is why, which is why all successful things <laughs> revolve around people other than Vassas and myself and your your bloke. <laughs> By the way, I know you don't like talking about it. It's his birthday today, Yes, it? it's his birthday. Shall we sing happy birthday to him? Yeah, go on. He's in Atlanta. He may not hear us. Oh, he'll hear us. <laughs> he'll hear us. Listen, it's not true what they say about DAB. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> what was it all about? We can work with that. Okay. Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday to Sasha. Happy birthday to you. And that was Isla Fisher, rock and roll all the way. Thank you, Isla. You're always Thank welcome. You. Thank you. You know that. Thank You're you. You're always welcome. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. They are the bastions of British broadcasting who always move with the times. And now they're moving to to the times. Their new show on Times Radio begins this afternoon at 3pm. Forget BVs, Garvey and Glover are the GVs and their VVG. Please welcome Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. Morning, ladies. Hello, Chris. Welcome to the top of the tower. How does it feel? Jane, first of all. I am so energised. I mean, this could not be, if you look out the window, it could not be more of a Monday morning in early October, yep. could it? It's absolutely blooming awful. But we've never felt livelier, have we? It's incredible. No. Uh, if people don't know, brand new show today, Times Radio 3 till 5, Monday through to Thursday. How did it all happen, ladies? Well, we were just courted, weren't we? I mean, they just were relentless, Chris. Frankly, I've never, I've literally never known anything like it. Uh, we had breakfast. Did we have lunch? I can't uh, no, I think we just had a brunch. Actually. Oh, did, okay. Well, yeah. I get confused. Yeah, uh, I'm it was just a meal here to do anyway. Fact checking. Yeah, it was you a are. Brunch. You're my fact checker. But do you know what? Times Radio just gave us a really fantastic opportunity. They said, "Come to us. What would you like to do with the show?" Right. And I think, as you know, that is a bit of a gift in broadcasting. So Jane and I looked at each other with that kind of quizzical, puzzled look that women of our age often have on their faces, <laughs> and then we went, mm, "Yeah, we'll do that," and we're here. And we're excited. You're excited, but you're already so relaxed. You can tell you're so calm because you you can't wait to fly your plane because you love flying the radio plane. Yeah, well, we both do. Um, I think we're both... Are we natural co-pilots or is one of us desperate to be the captain? What would you say about that? Well, I hope I don't have Liz Truss's air stewardess badge and you've got the pilot badge, otherwise (laughs) we're in trouble. (laughs) It might be a little bit like that. Um, We are really looking forward to it. We've got to... I don't know whether there's a procedure we need to go through to start having opinions because I've had 34 years of not being able to express a view. Yeah. 
and all of a sudden we've got a certain amount of freedom it's quite glorious it's like ripping off a very tight-fitting bodice yeah and letting it all hang out oh, lady that's quite early yes i'm sorry i've well, gone too early with you that know, for what you're about to encounter uh, and enjoy hopefully and you know um deploy see david dimbleby last week i mean you know this <laughs> is the same thing yes you know unshackled off you go fill your boots but of course you don't have to come out all guns blazing that that doesn't have to be no, the no. case does I, it? I mean, don't, people don't need to tune in at five past three to hear what i think about fiscal easing or whatever it might be is yeah. that a word it's quantitative easing and a fiscal event that's it either of those yeah, two, the two things together. Very nobody good, knows they? what any of those <laughs> see this is what mean. we should be like we should get each, have each other's back <laughs> oh you do you've got, get on each other's no, nerves you've got you do but in a manly way on, haven't you? whereas, a manly way a manly way whereas we're genuinely <laughs> relatively supportive of each other aren't we relatively chris <laughs> How did you two get together in the first place? It was the idea of a top BBC executive. And you don't say that very often, in all yeah. fairness, do you? We, did, we hosted a conference together, the radio... What was it called? The God, radio festival. The radio festival, yeah, complicated title there. Uh, we hosted that together and we just had quite a laugh doing it. And the bits that were on stage, they were a bit all over the place and a little bit bobbly. Mm. And they made people laugh. And somebody just said afterwards, maybe maybe you could do something together. And then it took four years <laughs> for us to do something together. <laughs> but you know how the cogs turn yeah, quite yeah. slowly. Yeah. Uh, so we did. And we did a podcast called Fortunately, which is still going on. Uh, and was very successful. In well, We will say moderately successful, but we should now be bigger and bolder yeah, about let's, it. Let's big ourselves It was up very too. successful, thanks to a kind of really extraordinary community that we were able to create with our with our womanly bants. I mean, no, other, no other word for it, really, is there? No, not at all. And, and do you know what? We did a show last night, and that's a phrase that Jane and I are getting used to saying. We did a live show on stage in Kingston, uh, and there were about, what, 900 people there? Quality audience. Oh, come on. Yeah, most, that's pretty impressive, pretty but punchy. But also, mostly women our age who come out on a Sunday night to talk about things that uh, women our age talk about and when we said you know probably the reason that fortunately was a success was because maybe that kind of meandering conversation between women especially of a certain age hasn't had an awful lot of airtime before uh, there was a cheer went up in the audience and you just think well actually that's all it was it was two women we cannot get to the end of a sentence without changing tack and talking about something else and <laughs> it that, goes from is the that because you forgot what you started completely. talking about uh, not necessarily Christopher <laughs> no. oh, no. let's be honest no, that sometimes happens to me all the time I say this is what am I talking about he says I've never known what you're talking about but you may have been talking <laughs> well, about this join our world then, Chris, join our middle yeah, we've got to be world. Well, we've got to be careful, haven't we? These, you know, with the sort of reiteration of, of a certain age. Oh, because, yeah, I agree. Because, you know, people who are older than us are going, it gets on their nerves. They go, mm. hang on, stop talking. You're, 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 oh, I'm old. No, no, you're just a bit older than you were. And that itself means that we still have a lot to learn. Yeah. The fact oh, no, that we so jumped, right. jumped to the yeah. elder statesperson yeah. Yeah. position when we're not at all. But you know what? We've got loads and loads of young people who've listened to the podcast uh, because uh, exactly that. As well, they like listening to what's going to come in front of them, what's going to come next. They, you know, they want to hear all the conversations from life, not just because we can get very, very siloed now, can't we? Yeah, oh gosh, yeah. only hear what's exactly like us, and that's not really good for it's you. It's not good at all. It's not good at all. And so, your hopes and dreams for three till five on Times Radio Monday through Thursday? We hope it will be an inclusive, fast-moving, news-friendly space because we will cover the news. I and mean, if anyone thinks that these two biddies just going to talk to each other for two hours, well, we could. But the Times, although they were generous, they weren't that generous. They did say, no, you will have to cover 
global events that yeah. are occurring, which we're delighted to do because we have spent the last five years basically gazing at our own navels. It will be really nice to look out there to the outside world. And let's face it, this is not an easy time here or anywhere else right now. And if we can just offer, what do you think, a safe space for people to just feel that they're going to, things will be okay because we'll be there supping our tea between three and five, Monday to Thursday on yeah. Times Radio. And we want people to get involved, don't yes. we? Yes, and we've got some amazing guests. We just have. this week, Jane, who have we got? We have got today, we've got Jamie Oliver, he's a well-known chap. Uh, Katie Nichols, Vanity Fair's royal editor, is tomorrow. And we've also got Ian Hislop later in the week. And... And we crown it all off with Tim Peake. And so, how does that? How does your show take shape? Because obviously, you've alluded to the fact you have guests there. Is do we build towards guests at the last half hour? Oh, how, I love how, you. How does, I love your radio. How does that questions. work? That's exactly what we asked as soon as we talked about the time slot. So you know how most shows kind of do news at the top, mm. going hard, and then you get kind of you know magazine-y and guesty yeah, yeah. a bit towards the end. We flipped it completely because it is three till five. Right. So we've got the magazine-y, more featurey, more chatty stuff at Which three. Makes more sense uh, and then as we build towards big john pinar at five o'clock yeah. we get more newsy and we kind of evening shift drive into drive that's right with a big guest every day at three thirty. yeah M- what might you take in today or will it be a, a big setup for the new show today oh i think um what will it be today Just autumn to- rain wear how about that <laughs> yes <laughs> the thing about the thing about autumnal uh, weather wear you can be rainproof but you can be too warm can't you? And is that it's what all has happened changing, to you today? Because when we came in, Chris, you had a lot of leg on show. A lot of autumn leg. I've since covered it up because I can tell it's making you both feel uncomfortable. Well, is it surprising? I'm sorry. We don't usually have guests between 8 and 30. But they you said... not have ladies, nervy ladies. No, we have guests after nine and, you know, I usually sort myself out by then. Oh, but... that's good of you. I'm hoping to be fully dressed every day at three o'clock. Um, it's, great. it's great to have you both here. Honestly, oh, well, look, thank when you. we heard thank you were you coming, we were welcome. so... Thank everybody was like, oh, my goodness me, they're coming to work. Yeah, that's so cool, man. Sinead's nodding supportively. No, I, I am. No, no evidence know, I, she agrees. I've worked with Jane before, and she's one of my broadcasting oh, heroes. Well, they're, they're, they're leading broadcasters. Yes, thank yes. Chris, I think it's great. Can I ask you one quick question? Sure. Hand up in the studio. Jane thinks that one day, years and years and years ago, you might have bought us a drink somewhere. You did, can you, Chris. Can you remember that at all? I think I bought most of Britain a drink at some point. It and frankly, and said, you frankly I'm not drink. feeling the gratitude having bought nearly all of Britain drink. <laughs> Thank you. Monday through Thursday on Times Radio, it's only Fee Glover and Jane Garvey. That's all, everyone. Yeah, round of applause. Come on. Whoa! The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Our next guest is so clever, we've had to have the studio knocked through just to fit in his brain. <laughs> He's a doctor and best-selling author who'll have you shrugging off trauma and living your best life in the time it takes to read his latest book, The Myth of Normal, out now. Ladies and gentlemen, you've got to fight for your right to Gabor Mate. Good morning, Gabor. <laughs> Good morning. That's quite the introduction. Thank you very much. <laughs> You're more than welcome. If it's all right with you, can I just parachute into various bits of your book? Jump in. Okay. If you like the sound of any of this, uh, you need to get this book in your life, The Myth of Normal Trauma, Illness and Healing in a Toxic Culture. First of all, the word myth. Um, it can talk to, um, you know, uh, falsification um, and things that aren't true. But myths can be very useful, you know, to us human beings when trying to tell a story and get something across or perhaps um, venturing and chancing an idea. Right. So myth can be a wonderful narrative, a, a symbolic, metaphoric representation of human life, of the human inner and outer journey. 
So that's the traditional and uh, ancient and venerable use of the word myth. The way it's also used today in the way we intended in this title, that myth is a false story. It's a, it's a soothing uh, um, tale that we tell ourselves so as not to feel the pain of reality. That's what we mean by the myth in this title. Knowing what you've known for the the number of decades that you've known it, and you know having done the work that you have and helped so many people, were you aware that there may be so much still locked inside you, you of all people? I had just actually come from England uh, to Peru, and I worked really hard here, so I really stressed myself, you know, and I was aware of how tired I was. I didn't know how dark and dense they found me to be. Um, but on the other hand, when they said it, I knew it right away. I knew they were right, right away. I didn't argue much. I did accept their decision and yeah, I knew it. I know a lot of your work, you know, is based around childhood and the foundations that are laid in childhood rightly and wrongly. And you have that amazing book, Hold On To Your Kids. Yeah. Um, can you speak to the importance of play as opposed to behaving? When you look at the essential needs, we actually have a circuit in our brain for play. We share that with other animals. If you notice, all animals play, all mammals play. Uh, cats, dogs, bear cubs, lion cubs, they play. Why? Because play is essential for brain development. And research shows that play is much more essential for brain development than cognitive learning or than academic teaching. Uh, because a healthy brain will naturally and easily learn. And, and, and play is essential for healthy, I'm talking about spontaneous play. Don't forget, we evolved out there in nature. Uh, for millions of years, hundreds of thousands of years, until very recently, kids grew up out there in nature, and there was free, spontaneous play in nature with playmates of multiple ages. Now, we've gone away from that in the modern world. We've de deprived our children of play. As a matter of fact, when children play these days, it's with digital uh, technology or with plastic toys pre-manufactured for them in, in, in mass production factories. The spontaneity, creativity, of play that helps the brain develop is largely being deprived from our children. That's one of the essential needs for healthy development, whether we know it or not. Well, we do know it scientifically, we don't know it culturally. And so by losing play, we're actually losing a deep connection to ourselves. You know, and contrary to popular um, understanding, kids do really like playing with their parents um, and they often end up playing with their friends just because their parents are unavailable. Yeah they often automatically transfer their allegiance to, to their peer group because that's what they spend the time with, which has disastrous consequences because now peers are influencing each other's development, which they're never meant to. They're meant to develop together, but under the guidance of adults. Now kids are very much growing up under the influence of immature peers who, with the best of goodwill, cannot guide them to maturity. What about when uh, they give out and they act out, they act up, children? What should we do? When they act out? Well, that's an interesting phrase, you know, um, because when, we, when you say act out, you probably mean a kid who's being disrespectful, is disbehaving, is being obstreperous, oppositional, perhaps aggressive. Frustrated rude, by frustrated. the situation. Yeah. But what does the word acting out really mean? It means that we portray in behavior something we haven't got the language for. So um, the example I often give is in a game of charades where you're not allowed to speak, you have to act out to convey your message. Or if, if, if I landed in England and didn't speak English, which a lot of people say that I don't, but in any case, uh, if, if I landed here and didn't speak the language and I had to portray hunger, I'd have to act out the hunger by means of physical gestures. Now when kids are acting out, that's what they're doing. 
they're not being bad kids. They're not being deliberately this, that, or the other. They are acting out their needs and their frustrated needs. And so the job of the adults, educators and psychologists and so on, is not to how do we control the behavior, but how do we get the message that the child is acting out, what need of the child is being expressed, and how do we meet that need so the child doesn't have to act out. Now, this is such a simple point, but it's so missed in parental teaching these days and certainly in, uh, in the schools. So what should we do? The child's biggest developmental need is secure, unconditionally loving, accepting contact with nurturing adults who themselves are present for the child emotionally and get the child's experience. That's the child's essential need. And ultimately how we deal with it is that we give that child exactly what they need. So instead of exclusion, time out, for example, no, what we need is time in. When a kid is frustrated, that's when they need the adult the most to help them regulate their nervous systems. And adults who are calm and loving and insightful can do that, that kid's behavior changes like that. Got it. Inside and outside is interesting, isn't it? We, we're supposed to be the same on the outside as we are on the inside. Clearly we're not. And if we think we get to 10% of it one day, we think we're having a good day. Can you speak to that for a bit? If I sit here trying to agree with you for the sake of getting you to like me, yeah. And I should ask myself, why is it so important for me to have somebody else approve of me? Yeah. What's missing for me? So one of the exercises I recommend in this book is sit down with yourself and ask yourself, where today did you not say a no? Where today did you pretend to agree with somebody when you didn't? Let's look at the impact of it. What am I telling myself that has me not being myself? What story do I tell? If, I, if I'm myself, they won't like me. Well, they may not. And the question is, what would you rather have? your authentic self, or the people's approval. That's a decision only every individual can make for themselves. I'm telling you, most people pay a very heavy price for seeking the external acceptance by giving up themselves. Yeah, well, we are out of time. Um, just give us a, a minute of gold for people who are listening to, to take with them. You can notice where you don't like yourself. You can notice when you're hard on yourself. You can notice when you are not being authentic for the sake of being accepted by others. You can notice when you buy into the myth that who you are depends on what other people think of you. Okay, got it. Dr. Gabo Marte uh, with Daniel Marte, The Myth of Normal. And also, um, you've got to check out the book, Hold On To Your Kids, because I haven't read it yet, but I'm going to get that on the way home today. Thanks for finding time for us. Such a pleasure. Thank you. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Our next guest is, yes. quite frankly... One of the most famous people in the world. She's starred in blockbuster movies. She's lit up catwalks and also, let's face it, that dress. She's here this morning as ambassador for Estee Lauder's breast cancer awareness campaign. And it's never too early for Elizabeth Hurley. Good morning, Elizabeth. <laughs> Good morning. First of all, tell us about your outfit. You're smashing it. Well, yes, I'm in a double-breasted hot pink suit, yes. just for you. OK, with a pair of uh, sort of white... Uh, I would have had real shoes. Um, yeah, yes. I, well, I am in very scruffy trainers, yeah. No, yeah, you're very funky. Very but I've funky. got nice high-heeled shoes, which I didn't put on for you, sorry. Oh, I know. Don't, don't worry. Yeah, you don't need to. I mean, mm. when Fee Glover and Jane Garvey were in here, they said, Liz Hurley's just levitated past. Because mm. you do tend to do that. You do tend to levitate. Do I? Yeah, you float float around. Oh, you. You know, seriously, it's all good. <laughs> all right, so we've talked about this before. You've been on the show before talking about this, and you're still at it. Well, good for you. What is it specifically that you want people to take away from our conversation this morning? Well, um, I'm in my 27th year of going around the world, raising funds and awareness for breast cancer. And so this year, 
Um, the Estee Lauder companies are celebrating their 30th anniversary of doing just that. And I think we'd love people to know that the fight for breast cancer is still going on. Great strides have been made in prevention and treatment through amazing research. Um, we've raised $108 million, um, most of which has gone to research. But we also want people to know that still one in eight women are being diagnosed with breast cancer and they don't all make it. So in spite of the great strides um, in research, sadly, way too many people are being diagnosed and dying. So we're still here raising money, raising funds to try and bring breast cancer to an end. OK, developments and advancements in, um, in ladies' favour. What, what have you discovered? What has happened? What have been the, the great? Well, over the 30 years, 30 years ago, it was a very different world for people with breast cancer because nobody spoke about it. There wasn't a pink ribbon. There wasn't Breast Cancer Awareness Month. People weren't raising money for research. And when you were diagnosed, and my grandmother was one of these people before that time, um, nobody knew anything about breast cancer. We didn't talk about it. People were really embarrassed and in some cases ashamed of having breast cancer. And their family members weren't involved in talking about the treatments. And also at that time, from a medical point of view, breast cancer was just called breast cancer. They didn't even know there were lots of different types of breast cancer. Now there are targeted treatments for breast cancers. So you're much more likely to receive a treatment which would actually work for your breast cancer. And also because of the campaigns like this one, where people have been encouraged to self-check and go to the doctor and be much more breast aware, breast cancers are found much earlier now. So we'd also really like people to know that if a breast cancer is found early, there's a 90% chance of it being curable but if it's found late, like in the case of my grandmother who found a lump and was too scared and embarrassed to tell anyone for some time, if you go to the doctor, then it's less treatable. It could have spread yeah. and it's a much more serious disease. So really, in some ways, the messaging hasn't changed from 30 years ago, which is be breast aware, be aware of your breasts, check your breasts, go to the doctor if you're worried and don't let it slide by. Yeah, it's the same with prostate cancer, isn't it? And colon cancer and testicular cancer. You know, the earlier you discover anything that may be, you know... Life-threatening. Life-threatening. The, the chances of them curing it are phenomenally high and then they become phenomenally low if you catch it too late. And it's the same cancer. Yeah. You know, we, we've had experience around our team of that very, very recently. Uh, thank heaven it's gone the right way, not the wrong way. Um, and it's funny, isn't it? Because like checking yourself um, when you're younger is like an admission of your own mortality, which is why some people are reluctant to do so. But it's like popping your cherry with anything, isn't it? Once you've done it once, you don't mind doing it again. So how do we get people over that first hurdle? What would you, what would you say to that? Well, I think you just have to bear in mind that you're way more likely to survive if you do it. So, of course, there's a little bit of fear involved. None of us want to seek bad news. Yeah. But the news would be so much worse later. And I, I think I've known so many really young people who've been diagnosed with breast cancer, none of whom would have had a mammogram because you don't get a mammogram till you're 40 because yeah. the breast tissue is too dense. Um, and it's interesting, during the pandemic, when we couldn't go out on the road and talk to people, we had to rely a lot on social media. So for this campaign, I put a post on my Instagram saying, ladies, you need to self-check. And you could go to a website and we had a great doctor called Dr. Zoe. She's an NHS doctor who's an ambassador for this campaign. And she did a demonstration of self-checking. And two of my, I mean, I hope many of my friends, but two of my friends who watched my post, who'd never self-checked, they were both under 40. They both checked. Two of them found lumps. And they would never have checked themselves had they not happened to be flicking through Instagram and yeah. happened to see my post, which I did on behalf of the company. 
So just they went to the doctor. They found them very early because they, you know, because they they self-checked. One was in the shower, one was in the bath when they just, I guess, just had a feel and a check because they'd never done it before. And, you know, they were both treated. They're, they're fine because they were found really early. Yeah. And do you fly around the world with this campaign? Yeah, we have because we have this global illumination program where we started to light beautiful buildings pink just again to just to try to remind people about breast cancer because and also i think remind husbands brothers dads etc who would also see it to you know um talk to women about it even though of course men can get breast cancer and they only have a it's, it's something like a one in 800 chance of getting breast cancer but nevertheless it's there and when theirs are found they're normally much later developed because men don't check their breasts Where, and they don't really think about it which part of the world is getting most right that we can learn from America. I mean, the Breast Cancer Research Foundation, which was also started by Evelyn Lauder, who started this campaign. She was actually Esther Lauder's daughter-in-law. Um, she started this foundation, which was just for research. And they've raised nearly a billion dollars. Um, and they employ the most fantastic research scientists. And they've been part of every major breakthrough in breast cancer um, diagnosis, prevention and treatment since it started th also 30 years ago. There's a, there's, there's a long way to go. Um, you're brilliant, Austin Powers. I've never told you that before. Oh, it's <laughs> so good. Um, okay. Have you? What, what's happened to Mike Myers? Do we know? Well, he does. He, Are you a friend of his? Yeah, I mean, yes. I don't speak to him all the time, but if I see him, I love him. Does he live in Hawaii? Have I imagined that? That I didn't know. I don't know where he lives. I think he hung out. In I Hawaii don't know, for a while. but he's. I mean, he's a truly brilliant, brilliant man. I think. I think we're due another Austin Powers film, don't you? Can you imagine? Yes. He did a show on Netflix recently. I think I actually didn't see it, but um, he's around. He's working. What else are you up to? Um. Well, I have a Christmas movie coming out. Come on. Well, it's a Christmas movie. Um. With Kelsey Grammer and Billy Ray Cyrus. Hello. And it's all filmed in the Caribbean, and of course, it's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> that's the, the sound that you made it up Kelsey Grammer, <laughs> Billy Ray Cyrus Christmas film in the Caribbean Yeah, Christmas well, in paradise Oh come on, tell us what, what happened Is it a caper? It's, yeah, actually it's very nice Kelsey plays my father yeah. And I've got a couple of sisters And it's actually it's very moving And has a lot of heart As I well as being amusing and wonderful I love it Is this yeah. the second in a series? Yes, yes I've seen it the first is. one I love a Christmas movie Yeah, the first oh, one was called it. Father Christmas is Back The working title of this was Father Christmas is Back again but it was considered too silly a title so it's now called christmas in paradise <laughs> like it Brilliant. like it like it yeah. and kelsey grammar is, is of course bringing back um fraser fraser is coming back isn't it it is coming back what do you know about that well he was very excited about it i mean it's been in the works for some time um i think they're picking up 10 hours for the first time and it's i mean he's a brilliant brilliant man and he's had a very, very tough life in some ways. I don't know if you know much of his history. He talks about it. I'm not talking yeah, out of school. Yeah, yeah. He's had a lot of tragedy in his life. So even though, you know, he's a very obviously supersonically talented comedian and writer, he's very emotional. And I think when you've had so much tragedy, you you have it there. And that's actually very tapped into in this film. He's very funny, but he's... Kelsey cries a lot. Are you going to be doing the rounds to do with that film? 
I guess, yeah. Oh, you're very welcome back. I'd love to come. Oh my back. goodness me, Elizabeth, great to see you. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. All right, no, great to see you. Really good Thank to see you. you. Find out more lcompanies.co.uk. Elizabeth Hurley talking about breast cancer awareness, which she loves to do, has been here for 27 years, and is very, very good at it. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky Virgin Radio. Thank you so much for listening to this, the podcast of the Virgin Radio Breakfast Show. Don't forget, you can subscribe and get it every week from wherever you get your podcast, and you will never miss the weekly roundup of all the best bits from our Virgin Radio Breakfast Show with Sky.